It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fancast. Steve and Jerry with you, as always. Jerry, how are you? I'm great. You? I'm great. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, the Rushcast. Email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. You know, every time we do a podcast, I say you're getting more and more emails. That is true. And you are getting even more and more emails. And even it's great. More and more. Keep them coming. We love it. I actually had to start organizing them, which is not my strong suit. No, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, I, we forget to mention that we also have a Facebook page. So we do. If you're, if you're one of those Facebook people, Fa- Facebook, I'm really not. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of... Uh, Anti-Facebook? No, I'm just weaning myself off Facebook. Yeah, well, that's a smart thing. Too many arguments. But if if you are a Facebook person, yeah, you can find us on Facebook. Just, uh, just do a search. Yeah. The base intro for the podcast, as always, was done by our good friend Lex. We thank Lex for doing that. And uh, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. Yes, please do. We appreciate that as well. Yeah. So the last time we did Roll the Bones. I remember. And you weren't as chipper as you usually are, probably <laughs> partly because because of Neil. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe. That, that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. But I think you felt bad because you didn't like Roll the Bones as much as you think the Rush fans would want you to. That's true. That's true. But I, But I think it's good that... You know, we were being honest about our opinion of Roll the Bones. Yeah. And uh, that's that. Sure. And I'm going to be honest about my opinion of the next album we're going to do. And today, that is Counterparts. Yes. Now, the fun thing about this record, Jer, is I don't know what you really think of Counterparts. <laughs> You've never so spoken about Counterparts. We, we have, I guess, but not not at length. So this will be, be a good experiment. Yeah. Now, this I'll, one, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I have nothing to say. You have nothing to no, say? I have nothing to say on the matter. I just don't ever remember you and I listening to Counterparts and rocking out to it or any, you know what I mean? Nothing. I don't remember any kind of... We kind of went our separate ways when, uh, when I we know. did Counterparts or when, when it came out. I just remember like listening and talking about, oh, I love this song on this album. I love this song on this album. This one I don't remember ever talking about. Well, I really, really love Counterparts. You do? I do. I love Counterparts. We'll get into it. We've got like, two. We, we, we've got two podcasts to get sure. into it. Okay. But, but here was my theory on Roll the Bones. If you recall, I said because I was in college when Roll the Bones came out, I had a lot of different music that I was also exposed to, so I didn't fall in love with it as much. Yes. Now this album came out in 1993, October 19th, 1993, to be exact. I was out of college at that point, and I had my first job, and I guess I had more exposure to this record than I did Roll the Bones. Interesting. And I fell in love with it. Really? Yeah. So, okay. anyway, it's Rush's 15th studio album. Reached number two on the album charts in the United States, Jack. Wow. Number two. <laughs> Can't and believe Canada, that. of course, only number six. What? I don't know. I don't know what's with the Canadians. Why can't you vault Rush to the top of the charts? I don't no, know no, why. Don't, don't yell at the Canadians, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that they should they should be ashamed. Oof. <laughs> No. <laughs> no about that. We're going to get some hate mail now. It, luckily luckily it's coming to you. Oh, that's true. Uh, it was recorded April to June 1993 at Le Studio in Marin Heights, Quebec, and produced by Peter Collins. Yes. Who also produced Power Windows and Hold Your Fire. Yeah. He, he produces um, a wide range of artists. Well, I think Rush was comfortable with him, and they decided, let's go back to Peter. Yeah. See what he, he see what he can do for us. He um, produced a few albums by one of my other favorite bands, the Indigo Girls. Oh, okay. Which so, ones? Well, you know, I, I knew you were going to ask me that. You have no idea. I just thought of it right now when you mentioned who produced it. I can't remember which ones. Okay, the good ones. How about that? <laughs> now, now uh, for Roll the Bones, I asked you what the five singles were 
on that album. What do you think the five singles were? Five singles? Five singles from Counterparts. Oh, Take geez. a guess. There were five singles? Five singles, yes. Uh, I'm going to go with Animate. Animate was one of them. That reached number 35 on the mainstream rock oh chart. I, I have to look through. Stick it out. Stick it out. Wow. Okay. Okay. That two for was two. that went number one on the mainstream rock chart for four weeks. Jared was number one. That's I, how about that, that? That's crazy town. Yeah. Um. Let me see. How about? I don't really know. I didn't think anything. Well, I'll, I'll give you the other three. Okay. So, so you, you don't have to sift through everything. Nobody's hero. I was going to say that next because uh, is that it w- just the first side? <laughs> no, that that went to number three. A uh, cold fire huh. uh, went to number two on the mainstream rock chart. Wow. This album did really well. Double Agent was the fifth one. Wow. That one did not chart, not surprisingly, because it's a wacky song. It is a crazy song. It's a crazy song. song. Well, we'll get into that later. And what do you think the theme of Counterparts is, Jer? Um, Before we get into the the songs themselves. Overall, I think it's about finding the feminine inside the masculine. Okay. So you don't think it's about just relationships in general? I think it's- The relationship between men and women? I think it is between men and women, but some of the songs have something to do with men recognizing more of the feminine qualities within them. Okay. Because this was the 90s. I don't know if you remember the 90s very well. I don't remember the 90s very well. Only because I just don't remember things very well. (laughs) Not because I was doing anything crazy back there. 1992, uh, Time Magazine declared it the year of the woman. There was a big resurgence in feminism in the early 90s. We talked about that a little bit with Nathan Santos a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I think that influenced a lot of the songs on this album. Okay. So, so Neil was thinking about that as well. I think so, yeah. As he was always very thoughtful about everything. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, just look at the, uh, the album art. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk, we'll talk about that <laughs> on part two of the Counterparts podcast. That's right. Definitely. Also, in the liner notes of the record, uh, this was brought to you by the letter, look at this. What is this? O-E with a couple of dots over it? Oh, what is that letter? That looks I like, should have looked that up before we did this. It's just the, I think it's British. British for what? For, um, well, you know, like this is going to maybe sound disgusting, but the word diarrhea. Yeah. In British spelling, it has an O-E in it instead. Really? Diarrhea kind of. Like, now, do, so, you, do you think they chose this, this letter because the letters are combined kind of oh, like maybe. counterparts? That's yeah. what I thought. Maybe. I should have looked it up to see what it was, but that's why I thought. Yeah. It was brought to you by that particular letter that I don't understand. Right, yeah. That's what I think it is. Okay. It could be in another language because it has an umlaut, so I'm not sure. Or maybe a diacritic, whatever the two dots are called. Okay. Well, my goal my goal for this podcast, Jer, our good friend Mark Irwin, yes. who we met through this podcast, yes. listens to us all the time. I saw the email he sent you the other day that you forwarded me. He said he doesn't like counterparts. That's true. So we're going to convince Mark Irwin you, count, I am going to convince, convince Mark Irwin that Counterparts is a great record. I will convince Mark that about three or four of the songs are great. Three or four? Uh, yes. That's it? Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's get into it. Track one on Counterparts is Animate.
right, Jared. So this song leads off counterparts. Your thoughts initially? Well, I definitely think this is the song that makes me think that the whole album is about the feminine and the masculine okay. inside one person. Do you get that feeling? Yes, definitely. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Because animate itself uh, means you know to bring to life, mm-hmm. and it's there, there's a, like a Carl Jung. Yeah, Carl Jung. Yep. Did you got that? Um, what do you got there? It says uh, the lyrics contain many ideas based on the theories of Carl Jung. That's yeah. uh, what I read somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's the um, the masculine is animus, and the feminine is anima, which mm-hmm. just ends in a whatever. So animate. I think it has something to do with bringing up the feminine in the masculine. Okay. Bringing out or bringing to life. And I think some most of the lyrics have something to do with that. Although they, they get a little wonky at parts, but I think that's about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It says here, uh, this knowledge he called archetypes, which are demonstrated by the creative experiences shared by fairy literature around the world, yep. represented in the song by the various fairy tale illusions. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. There's also the... He talks about the ancient queen of inner space, and I think inner space is kind of like the collective unconscious. Right. Where these, that's where the archetypes supposedly live. Okay. Like they're all of the um, manifestations in the real world of our stories about these archetypes. But the archetypes are something we're born with. Like it's the opposite of uh, tabula rasa. When you're born with a blank slate, you're kind of born in this theory anyway with these archetypes inside of you. Mm-hmm. And that's why all of these stories have the same kind of themes in them because they're just innate. Hmm. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's okay. And is this one of the three songs on this record that you like, Jer? There might be four. Yeah, I do like this song. <laughs> I do. Like I think this, this is one of the best songs on the record. I think so too. Yeah, and, and they played it all the time live and it was always great live. Yeah, I mean, it starts off uh, polarize me, sensitize me, criticize me, civilize me, compensate me, animate me, complicate me, elevate me. So I think that's, he's talking about this other part of his personality, maybe the feminine side of his personality, can do all of these things for him. Now, do you think it also means that the opposite sex brings out some of this in him? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Oh. You just cut out what I said and just put in what you said. (laughs) At the beginning of the song, you could hear Neil counting. Yeah. I don't know if you- was great. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, Getty said uh, they left that in just because they thought it added a human touch to the song. Okay. So I thought it was cool. Yeah. An interesting fact I found out about this song, Jar. Getty played his bass through an amp that he found in the Studio garbage. <laughs> you believe that? <laughs> found an amp in the garbage, plugged his bass in and said, okay, yeah, let's use this. Wow. I never took him as a dumpster diver. <laughs> That's great. Well, I don't know if we should call him that. It might well, have just it, was, been, it might have been hovering. I guess. <laughs> he went out to throw some garbage out and he's saying, hey, look at that. Check it out. Hey, hey well, you know, that. if you saw an amp in the garbage, you'd pull it out too. Oh, I, yeah, that's true. Totally. I can't tell you how many things in my house <laughs> I literally found in the garbage. And you know what I, I forgot about on Roll the Bones? I forgot to give props to Getty. You know, we were talking about Neil because, you know, Neil had just passed and yeah. Alex's guitar work on Roll the Bones is so good. Yep. Getty on Counterparts is oh, incredible. Yeah. This is Getty going crazy. I think, for the most part, I like the music for most of these songs. I just don't like the songs. Oh, I see. So you don't like the lyrics, or I, you just don't like the composition of the songs? Yeah, I don't like the composition. I don't have the lyrics. Usually, the for me, the lyrics and the music are seamless in Rush okay. songs. These, they just seem a little, little off to me. They just don't really 
they don't grab me the way the other songs I just do. think this album rocks. I mean, it's uh, back to the guitar, bass, drums, old rush for me. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that was that's definitely the... Um, you know, the Seattle sound influence on them. They yeah. probably just like, hey, we can do that. We can still do that. Yeah. And they just plugged in and went nuts. No, like we've been talking about, you know, they, they absorbed what was going on around them at the time yep. and then kind of churned it out yeah. in their own work. Yeah, it's true. This definitely is a part of that. I've got a quote from Neil. He said he used a basic R&B rhythm that he played back in his early days, coupled with the hypnotic effect that a lot of British bands of the turn of the 90s had. Bands like Curve and Lush. I don't think I've ever heard of Curve. I've never heard of Curve. I've heard of Lush. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. Mm, Yeah. The middle section of the tune is the result of the impact African music has had on me, although it wasn't a specific African rhythm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's a great song to lead off the record. Yeah, it's it's a great lead off song. That's definitely true. Always great live. I think the best part of the song lyrically for me is, is toward the end. I, I, he says, my counterpart, my foolish heart, a man must learn to rule his tender part. Mm-hmm. A warming trend, a gentle friend, a man must build a fortress to defend. What is your tender part, Jer? That's for a different podcast. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's the heart, no? <laughs> oh, yes, the, the heart. <laughs> that is, yes, right. I wrote down that, uh, you know, man becomes more caring, but a lot of times men feel like they have to protect that part of them and not be able to show it as much. Right. No, no, that makes sense, and I think that's exactly what that's saying. Yeah, yeah, secret face, a touch of grace, a man must learn to give a little space, a peaceful state, a submissive trait, a man must learn to gently dominate. Gently. Gently dominate. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, the, the lyrics are amazing. I, I love Neil's lyrics on this record, too. I love I, most of them. Again, most. I'm going to keep a tally. Okay. I like this song. All right. You like this song? Okay, that's that's, that's one. That's check mark that's one. one. Okay. All right, well, let's see if you like the second song, Jer. Stick it out. Before we get into the song, Jar, I found out a fun fact about Stick It Out. Okay. This was the only song that was lampooned on Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so th- this album came out right around the heyday of Beavis and Butthead. Sure, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Let's call it that. What was... <laughs> what, how, what, how could they possibly lampoon this song? Well, I don't know. Just making fun of the... It's the video, though. They made fun of the video, not I the song. I don't even remember It a was video. a guy in dreadlocks just jumping around. I mean, if, I you, and I, if you and I watched it, we'd make fun of it, too, probably. It was probably. goofy. Whoa, is that Jesus? <laughs> is that our Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, no, I think it's Lenny Kravitz. Um, no, I think it's... Trust no, it's Rush. This guitar sounds kind of cool, though. Yeah. If you happen to be a wuss. <laughs> <laughs> they, t- they took some time off of making fun of Winger to make fun of Rush. 
I like Beavis and Butthead. I don't know why I'm slagging on Beavis and <laughs> yeah, Butthead. Yeah, be nice to Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. They were funny. I kind of like Daria better, but that's, that's just me. <laughs> As I said before, this this song went to number one on the Billboard Album Rock chart. That's Jared, incredible. For four weeks. Absolutely incredible. Stick it out. So your thoughts? Um, I think it's about carefully considering your next move, I think. Okay. But I don't, this is one of the songs I'm, I, again, I love the music. I think it's really rocking. I love the way it comes in, you know, and it has a, kind of like a foreboding sound at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't really know what the song is. Well, I've got a quote from Neil. Let's oh, see. Great. Let's Let's see if we can interpret this. Let's just take... Uh, Neil says, it's just a play on words, really. Stick it out, meaning both a kind of arrogant display and stick it out, also the endurance thing. If you have a difficult thing to endure, stick it out and you get to the end. It was a pun on both of these, really. So again, the duality of the song is a bit leaning both ways. The sense of forbearance, of holding back, and also the idea of fortitude. Stick it out, you know, survive. But that was more of a piece of fun, that song, I would say, both lyrically and musically. It verges on parody. Hmm. He said that about another song, didn't he? I think so. And that was one thing we just had fun with, and lyrically certainly did too. Stick it out and spit it out, and all that was just a bit of wordplay. Huh. All right. So he he thought of it as kind of just a fun song. Yeah, sure. Okay. I'll buy that. I mean, he said it. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> if Neil said it, I believe it, for sure. Uh, the one thing I really like at the end, um, where he says, each time we bathe our reactions in artificial light, each time we alter the focus to make the wrong moves seem right. Mm-hmm. That kind of reminds me of a little bit of available light. Okay, yeah. You know how you're supposed to see things the way they are? Mm-hmm. This is almost the opposite of that it's not the available light it's the artificial light right we kind of just cast our mind and just justify our actions any way we can and that's what he says in the song artificial yeah. light yeah. yeah so it, it is the opposite of available light really right. but i mean overall sure and and the guitar sound is just great i the, mean alex is the guitar sound alex, on the whole is, album. Lo- alex is loving this for sure yeah. the guitar sound on the whole album is great yeah i mean it's so, just amazing yeah getty's bass is great but as a deep song, oh, it's not a deep song. Yeah, and I think ba- and I think based on that quote I just read, it it wasn't intended to be deep yeah. at all. It was just good. intended to be fun. Okay, good. Did you have fun listening? Oh yeah, always have fun listening. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. Is this in your top four, Jer? Um, you're gonna you're no. gonna leave the, you're gonna leave this one out. You're gonna spit it out. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna swallow that poison. <laughs> no, this one is not as strong. As other songs on the album for me. There's only one song on this album that I don't like. Only one. I know what song it is. Can we tell you? No. Okay. <laughs> when, when we get to it, you could say that was the one. You, could, I believe you. I believe you. Okay. If you tell me that's the one that you thought, I'll. I I'm trust gonna write you. it down on a piece of. Paper. All right. Write it down on a piece of paper. We'll get to it later. Until then, track three on Counterparts, Jar, is cut to the chase. It is the engine that drives itself. But it chooses the uphill climb A bearing on magnetic north Growing farther away all the time Can't stop moving Just a chance I'm prepared to take A danger I'm prepared 
Now, if you recall, Jer, way back on one of our early podcasts, I uh, made a pun about Cut to the Chase. I don't remember that. And I said it was a Rush song, and you said, Cut to the Chase is a Rush song? <laughs> so I'm guessing this is not one of your favorites. No, I mean, <laughs> look at this blank It's a page. blank slate? It's basically a blank page. I'm not really a big fan of this song. I like this song. Like I said, I like almost all the songs on this record. It sounds good. Mm-hmm. The music's great. Yeah. But I just, I don't get. You don't the, get the lyrics? I don't get things from this song. I don't get a lot of deep meaning in this song. It just, the song just kind of moves along. Right. It's a little pace. Okay. But I just, it doesn't affect me in any way. See, but th- this is where you and I differ. I mean, do I think the lyrics are profound in any way? Not really, but I still think it's a great song. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. That's your opinion, Steve. <laughs> it <laughs> okay. is. But I love the bass line at the beginning. Like like I said, it's, the music's great. Yeah. I just... The, just Can't you just enjoy this song for the great music? I guess. I don't come to Rush just for one aspect, though. I come to Rush for all aspects together. Okay. All right. I guess I can see that, I suppose. That's just me. What, so right. tell me about the song. What, what it's about? Yeah. See, Cutting to the chase. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I don't care what it's about. I, How I do lo- you not care what it's about? Because I don't. How, what? Because I don't care what it's about. I like the sound of the song. I like the musicianship on the song. I love Alex's solo. I think it's a good song. But I mean, look, there aren't there any songs that you don't like the lyrics, but you still love the song? There's got to be. I, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't hate the lyrics of this song, but I, I, don't, I didn't even try to interpret them. I try to find something it's, in It's about song. cutting to the chase, It's Jer. about cutting to the chase. <laughs> I, what I, I don't... I don't understand a lot of this, the lyrics, right? It's the fire that lights itself. It burns with a restless flame. The arrow on a moving target. The archer must be sure of his aim. It is the engine that drives itself, but it chooses the uphill climb. I don't know. It sounds good. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. A bearing on magnetic north growing farther away all the time. Well, just because you can't figure out what it means doesn't mean it's not (laughs) profound. That's that's true. You know, maybe you maybe you and I just aren't smart enough to interpret this one, Jerry. That that I will give you. That could certainly be it. Yep. Now I don't have a quote from Neil on this one, so I don't know what his intentions were with these lyrics. But I do have a quote from Alex about the solo, which I, I stated earlier that I love. Yes. Solos are a funny thing. Many solos I record at the demo stage make it to the final mix. So this God, solo again. Not only was it first take, this was on the de- they did a demo of the song. That's crazy. He yeah. played a solo, and that's the solo they used. Crazy, right? The guy's a genius. So he goes on, uh, I tend to be a perfectionist, but I've come to realize my best work is spontaneous. An unrehearsed solo may not be particularly in time or in tune, but it can possess an emotional quality that's very difficult to recapture. At this point, I'd rather live with some technical imperfections. So he'd rather have the solos that th- that's not perfect but emotionally fits the song. Oh yeah, you could definitely tell that. I yeah. think this, again, the music on most of these songs, I love. I okay. love his solos on this. His solos are so weird on this album. They're not just like normal solos. Like, there's one song after I wrote down the, the solo is it's Crazy Banana Pants. You know, It doesn't really sound like a guitar solo. We'll get, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But I wanted to bring something up about Neil. You know, Since Neil passed away, I've just been absorbing every Neil interview I can find. And he said something we brought up when we were talking about Roll the Bones, how each verse has a different 
he basically wrote the drum parts for every song and played them exactly the way they were written. And what he said, he was talking about Freddie Gruber. Yeah. And one of the first things Freddie Gruber said to him is, you are a composer. You're not an improviser. And Neil said, that's exactly right. Yeah. He doesn't improvise at all. No. At all. Everything is meticulously written and performed in exactly the same way whenever Neil performs the song. So they played Tom Sawyer, what, a thousand times? He plays that song exactly the same every time. Yeah. I mean, he's that kind of perfectionist. But Yeah. That's he, why his drum solos are so good, because they're not just, he's not just bashing He's around. not just winging it. Yeah. It's composed to be a certain way. When you hear Neil's drum solo, it's the same every time. Yeah. And it's perfect every time. Yeah, and they have sections to them, and it's just sounds But what he said, which floored me, is he's not good at improvising, which is amazing to me. Well, maybe he thinks he's not good at improvising. Well, he's probably better at improvising than every other drummer we could (laughs) probably think of. Well, I mean, maybe, also maybe not. I mean, maybe he really doesn't have that. A lot of people, like a lot of, like the greatest, like I said before, the greatest novel writers can't write short stories and stuff like that. Maybe he really is just uncomfortable writing it. So he just... I think that's probably more it. He's yeah. just not comfortable doing it. So he that hasn't way. put the time into it. Because learning. he he's such a perfectionist that think about it. If you're improvising, you might do something that's not so great. Right. Right? Because <laughs> yeah. you're just because you're just winging it. Yeah. He wants to do something great every time he gets behind that kit. And he did. And he did. He wrote every single that's every amazing. single beat, every single everything. What if he charted them out. Maybe. Maybe. I would love to know what those charts well, look I like. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Getty probably did the same thing writing his bass parts, you know? I would think Alex not with his solos clearly obviously yeah yeah but it's interesting yeah so cut to the chase I like it you're eh I'm eh okay I'll take I'll take eh how many songs in are we three we're three songs in okay tally mark in the eh. (laughs) eh tally okay let's move on to track four on Counterparts Nobody's Hero as the years went by we drifted apart when I heard that he was gone, I felt the shadow cross my heart. But he's nobody's hero. Save the drowning child. Cures the wasting disease. Hero. Lives a crippled airplane. Solves great mysteries. Hero. So nobody's hero, Jared. Your thoughts? Um, I don't know. This isn't on your top four? No. You don't like this song? I don't like this song. Really? Yeah, I don't. I have this. I, uh, this really surprises me. It really does. Yeah, it's just for me. It. I don't know. It has nothing new to say on the topic of what constitutes a a hero in everyday life. Okay. All right. Is that wrong? You're mad. I'm not mad. I'm just surprised. <laughs> I really love this song. Do you really? Yeah. Well, you tell me about it then. Well, it was inspired by a friend of Neil's, Uh-oh. a gay friend of Neil's who oh. we met when he went out to London okay. for the first time before before he joined Rush. 
he went out to London to kind of find himself and, and experience life. Yep. And he met this, this guy, I don't know what his name is, but he befriended a homosexual man. Yeah. And just like it says in the song, he went to his parties, the guy made him feel like a part of his community and he didn't feel out of place. Yeah. And Neil, of course, didn't find what he was looking for in London career-wise, so he went back to Canada, Yeah, joined up with Rush, and I don't think he ever really ran into this guy again, but he found out later that he had passed away yeah. because he, he got AIDS. Mm-hmm. So this song was written after Neil found out about his death. So that's what yeah. the song's about. Yeah, okay. Um, and I just, think it's, I just think it's a great song. I love the acoustic guitar. I love the melody. I think Getty's vocals are tremendous. Yeah, you know, I I, I agree. I, I with, just I just think it's a it's a catchy song too. It is. Yeah, it just doesn't it you, just doesn't strike me. You're not buying the message. No, no, I I, I buy the message. I just don't. You just, just don't like the song. I just don't like the song. I just I just can never get into this song. I don't know why. Okay, and I think Getty's performance is outstanding because, as we said on a few other songs, the emotion. That's he true. He connects yeah. with the emotion that Neil's feeling. Yeah. And it comes across in the vocals to me. Yeah. And that's what makes the song so moving to me is Getty's vocals. Well, let me ask you this then. After the first uh, verse, right, and then the um, like the pre-chorus, right? Okay. He said, the, the chorus begins, but he's nobody's hero. What, what do you think that means? Maybe this is where the disconnect comes for me because he says that he's nobody's hero. Well, I think what he means is... That this guy wasn't a famous person. Yeah. He was just a, a regular guy. He wasn't a well-known person. He wasn't a hero to anyone, but he was still- A hero. A hero. Does that make any sense? Just yeah. because he's he's nobody's hero. He's just a hero. He's not a hero to many. Right. Because how many people did this guy know? Right. You know, just to his close friends. I So I guess it's kind of like uh, Foo Fighters, my hero. Yeah. It's about just everyday people. Right. I think it just means he's an everyday person. That's all. You know, Neil just passed away. I mean, you can't say Neil is nobody's hero because he's a lot of people's hero. Yeah, this true. guy was just a regular guy. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think this type of person is what Neil wanted to be, just a regular guy. Neil yeah. would rather be nobody's hero than everybody's hero. What do you think he says? It means when he's saying at the end, you know, he, he goes through um, in that first course you know he talks about who the heroes are right hero lands the crippled airplane solves great mysteries not some handsome actor who plays a hero's role not the glamour girl then if anybody's buying nobody's hero and later on he said everybody's buying nobody's hero is that i'm not sure i'm not sure the hero is different things to different people maybe what he's saying is that when everybody's buying nobody's hero what he's saying is that these people these famous people shouldn't be anybody's heroes Maybe that's what he's saying. Well, certainly not the glamour girl or the handsome actor. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. They shouldn't be the heroes, but the person who saves the drowning child, the person who cures a wasting disease, those people are the real heroes. Yeah. But his friend, I mean, didn't do any of those things. He wasn't an actor. He probably didn't cure a disease. Maybe he didn't save a drowning child. Yeah. But to Neil, he was still a hero. To him. Yeah. And I think that's all this song is saying. I, I think it's great. We can disagree. Yeah, we are. Okay, we it's disagree. okay. No, I just kind of, I feel bad disagreeing because of the, uh, Why? the topic of the song. 
No, no. No, you should. Look, if you don't like the song, you don't like the song. But I don't like it just because oh, of yeah. the topic. I, I just think it's, a, I think it's a really good song. All right. I've got a quote from Neil here. All right, let's hear it. If people think that discussing homosexuality is controversial, then they've been living under a rock. You know, that's the 90s in a nutshell, right? That it was, con- it might have been controversial in the 90s. Well, it, it may have been. Though. No, it was. It that's, was. I know. Yeah. So Neil says, nobody's hero will probably polarize people, even though the AIDS issue is only a small part of the lyrical theme, and people will probably jump to conclusions. That's their problem. I don't worry about it, whether it's brave or foolish or whatever. When things affect you, you talk about them, and it comes out in your music. You let it fly. I never had the slightest idea that it could be interpreted as controversial until someone pointed it out to me after we finished the record. I guess I've always worked in the music business, which is a very tolerant environment. I don't remember any any controversy. Well, this is from 1993 interview. Yeah, but I mean, so, I don't remember the controversy. I well, certainly wasn't offended by it in any way. Uh, I don't know if maybe maybe it wasn't controversial necessarily, but maybe people said to Neil, you know, this is going to be controversial. Because maybe. he mentions the word homosexuality. I guess, I guess. And the 90s were... It's yeah. crazy, yeah. it's crazy. But my love of the song has nothing to do with that. Yeah. I just think it's a great song. And very rightly so, did very well on the charts. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So uh, anything else about Nobody's Hero, Jar, before we move on to the last no. track on Counterparts? And this track I l- really like. Really? This yes. is one of the ones you like? Oh, yeah. great. Perfect. Here it is, Between Sun and Moon. There is a fine line between love and illusion. A fine place to penetrate the gap between. The lens between wishes and fact This is a fine place to hesitate Those bonfire lights in the lake of sky The time between wonder and why So, Jared, this is another of the three songs that were co-written by your friend and mine, Pi Dubois. <laughs> That's right. He's not really your friend. I don't know him. No, we don't know him. No. But uh, Neil wrote this with Pi Dubois, along with Force 10 and Tom Sawyer. So this is the third collaboration between the two. And you already uh, gave us a little spoiler that you like this song. So uh, yeah, I, I why love don't you this tell song. us? Yeah, well, it's great. I don't know. I have to tell you, I read Pi Dubois' poem. His, okay. His poem is called There is a Lake Between Sun and Moon. Okay. And most of the lyrics are taken directly from it. A lot a lot of the lyrics and some of the other he he switches up some of the lyrics, Neil switches up some of the some of the lyrics to make them, you know, fit better in his okay. song. I love this song, but I have no idea what it's about. And, and you still like it. You still like it. Wow, that's great. Yeah. It's nice of you. I love the the guitar kind of the the riff. Yeah. And I love the ah uh, 
yes to yes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Again, but why the sun? No idea what that means, but I just love how the drums, everything changes. And it's just got a great hook at it the does. end of that part. It's just, yeah, it's it's just amazing. Yeah. And Getty, Getty's vocals, again, are great. Yeah. The bass line, again, is great. I just like, and there's so many good lines. This is actually something, it's kind. this line is kind of from the poem when he says, this is a fine space, shining face to face, those bonfire lights in the mirrored sky, the space between wonder and why. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I just love that. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, maybe it's about the stars. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I don't know what it means either, but I don't care. I just think it's a great song, which is the way I feel about a lot of Rush songs that I don't understand. Yeah. Because Neil's so much smarter than me. Because in the poem, this idea of the, the mirrored sky, the lights in the sky or whatever, the poem says... It is the moment between silent and shout. This is a fine place, faces face to face, those bonfire eyes in the lake of the sky. So it's a little different. It's a little different. But it's pretty much lifted straight from the poem. Yeah. And I have a, I actually found a quote from Neil about nice. Pai Dubois. Okay, hit me. He says, Tom Sawyer, of course, was co-written with Pai Dubois and Force 10 and Hold Your Fire was too. And I really like his style of writing. It's inscrutable to me sometimes, as I think it is to other people too. But at the same time, it has a certain power in his images and writing, which is exactly how I feel. This, yeah. this song is absolutely inscrutable to me. I really have no idea what it's about. But but that's okay. Everything comes, unlike some of the other earlier songs that I said I didn't like, everything in this song comes together for me perfectly. And I just love it from beginning to end. That's yeah, it, well, it, it is really say. good. Yeah. So I found something that Getty said about the riff, which is a great riff. He said it was very un-Alex Lifeson-like, the Mm -hmm. riff. And he compared it to a sound that Keith Richards would have had. Hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Alex also said, this is a quote from Alex, Pete Townsend can make an acoustic sound so heavy and powerful. I've always admired that. On Between Sun and Moon, there's a musical bridge before the solo that's very who-ish. I even throw Keith Richards in there. Oh. The song is really a tribute to the 60s. Interesting. Yeah. I did not pick that up. Yeah. But but after after I read that, I listened to the song again, and it definitely has a Keith Richards kind of feel to it, or just a tone to it, mm. the riff, to me. And I, I didn't notice it until after I read that Getty quote, and it's great. Yeah, it is a great song. I, w- I wish I had something to say about it. Well, it's okay. You can just say, it's a great Rush song. I like it. It's a great Rush song. I like it. And that's all there is to it. And that's all there is to it. So we're halfway through Counterparts, Jar. We've got six more songs to go. We'll do that on the next podcast. Yep. Do you think so far we've maybe convinced Mark Irwin? I mean, I'm trying. You're not trying at all. No. About Counterparts. No, I don't think we're going to convince him. You don't think so? No. Well, if I had some help, maybe we would. (laughs) Maybe on side two, you can assist me a little bit. Maybe we can uh, drag somebody else in here. Maybe, you know what? Maybe we should get Mark on for the second part of the podcast. Maybe. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. We can get his opinion. He's probably so thrilled we're talking about him over (laughs) and over. Anyway, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at RushFanCast, Instagram the RushCast, email Jerry, send him your hate mail about nobody's hero at the rushcast at gmail.com just kidding don't don't do that don't send hate mail just send us your your love mail <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> like mail is good is, is it is it so obvious <laughs> the jokes i'm going to make next time on the rush Fancast side two of counterparts and until next time jer do you have a quote for me please i know please i don't really disappoint do. i really do oh good
The quote is this time, my counterpart, my foolish heart, a man must learn to rule his tender part. I knew you were going to throw the tender part Did back in Did you really? There. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Take it easy. Bye.